I recently had the privilege of playing checkers with one of my granddaughters. She's a very intelligent and crafty young lady, never missing a loophole in the rules. On a particular move she made, though, I couldn't let it slide. I said, you can't do that. Why? Because that's the rule. Why? Because the person who invented checkers said so. Why? And we got into that infinite why loop. And she finally says, why can't I say different? And I didn't have a good answer for that. So we changed the checker rules. Now, contrast that with a similar situation that occurred in one of my science classes. While going over some physics equations, I stated that a certain variable had to be within a certain range. And a student said, why? And I said, well, because that's the way it works. And the student said, why again? And I just said, well, because that's the way the universe is. The point was, over the centuries, scientists have discovered what works and what doesn't in the physical world. We didn't make up the equations. We just discovered them. The science of interpreting the Bible is called hermeneutics. There are definite methods and considerations that allow us to understand the Bible more easily and correctly. Contrary to what many want to believe, these generally aren't arbitrary human-made rules, as in checkers. They are time-tested guidelines that have been discovered as effective means to understand Scripture. We want to make it clear to our listeners why we take particular lines of reasoning in our articles and podcasts. Let's look at a few of these principles. First of all, we believe the Bible is perspicuous. That's a fancy word that just means intended to be understood. I hear some people complain that God's word is complicated, puzzling, often shrouded in symbolism. There are likely exceptions, but it seems these are usually people who haven't really attempted to read and understand scripture, or they've had some reason to avoid understanding it. My recommendation for someone who is concerned about the symbolism in scripture is to just for now read the 98% that has nothing to do with symbolism. And this is not to say that all of scripture is kindergarten simple. Every time I read the Bible, it seems I find some new insight that I didn't see before. I know dedicated believers who have spent lifetimes mining treasures from the Bible. But the main things are the plain things. Even children can and do comprehend what God's word says about salvation, the Christian life, and most other crucial spiritual concepts. Also, perspicuous doesn't necessarily imply zero effort. I had a former student who asked on the first day of class, is this course easy? And I said, yes. After all, it was a basic course. And I said, most students who take it get an A. So after having skipped most of the class sessions and turning in roughly about a fourth of the assignments, the student stormed into my office on the last day of class and said, easy, you gave me an F. So does that need any further clarification? Read the Bible. Some compare the Bible to a love letter. That's a good description. It is very much a love letter to us from God. I was never an expert at writing love letters, but back in the day, I received uh, such correspondence from my future wife. If she sent a note that said, hey, let's hang out in the student center, I wouldn't think, hmm, maybe that's symbolic and she really means the library. No, I knew her and I was familiar with how she communicated. I took the note to be perspicuous. The second thing is, it's important to know the writer and the reader. Did you notice in the previous message from my wife, there actually was a figure of speech. She said, hang out. 
And that that's an idiom that would probably be confusing to a non-English speaker. But I knew I didn't need to take a rope with me. I knew her and I understood her style of communicating. She also knew me and I factored that into her communication. And that's why scripture urges us to study it. Believers need to be familiar with God's style and how he relates to us. This often takes time and effort, though. Third, it's important to know the context. Writer and reader are part of the context, but it goes much deeper. Every part of the Bible was written to someone and also for someone. Obviously, every word was written for the person or persons to whom it was written, but the entire Bible was also meant for us. For example, the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon to his son. However, nobody reading this collection of wise sayings would ever doubt that God intended for this wisdom to be received and used by us. I've been in Bible study groups during which the entire session revolved around, what does this scripture mean to me? Now, that's possibly a good question at some point, but it usually misses the mark of really true understanding. Let's look at a method of studying God's word that has worked pretty well for many students of scripture over the centuries. For simplicity, let's do this by first considering three questions about the passage. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? The first question, what does it say? In the King James translation of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4.15 says, We which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. King James, it's a solid, time-tested translation, which I use pretty often, but it is written in thousand-year-old English. Back then, the word prevent in this translation meant precede. Thus, the verse actually says, Proceed, even though it literally says prevent. It's a crucial starting point to know what a passage says. Okay, here's the spoiler. Scripture wasn't written in English. And assuming you're reading this and aren't also fluent in Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic, the Bible that you read is a translation of the original manuscripts. However, most of our statements of faith say that we believe Divine inspiration can only be credited to the original manuscripts. But let me be clear. Our mainline English translations are dependable. King James Version, New King James, New International Version, English Standard Version, New American Standard Version. Most of these are very true to the original manuscripts. So what does all this mean to me on a practical level? It means I can read my English versions with no worries. I believe God has maintained the integrity of Scripture through the process of translation. The main and plain things will still shine through clearly. And I can still trust the Holy Spirit to supernaturally guide, encourage, and correct me through the translated words. But it will still take effort on my part to know what they say. Having said all of this, What about the nuances of scripture? What about those details that perhaps aren't essential for salvation and sanctification, but are still useful and important? Relax again. We still have reliable copies of the original manuscripts. Then do I need to learn Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic? Well, if you want to, it would certainly be useful. I know just enough of those to be dangerous with them, basically. However, there are good lexicons out there. These are dictionaries of original manuscript terms with scholarly explanations of their meanings, many of which are available now online. And I use these frequently to get the full meaning of what my translation is telling me. The next thing, what does it mean? 
As I mentioned, although scripture was written for us, and that's all people, it was first written to a particular audience. It was written to be understood by the original audience. This is a very important principle interpreting the Bible. How did the original recipients interpret what was said? Context is everything. For example, the New Testament was written primarily by and to what we call Second Temple Jews, basically from about 500 B.C. through the life of Jesus and the disciples. In John 9, when Jesus and his disciples encounter a blind beggar, one of them said, Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And that's probably not our first thought when we see a person with a disability today. However, the Jewish belief at that time, whether it was true or not, was that deformities were the result of sin. Understanding the disciples' thinking helps us understand Jesus' response to them. Many Christians are concerned about the similarities between the Old Testament and some older stories from the pagan world at that time. Did Moses really plagiarize that creation account from the early Mesopotamians because they had basically the same story? In this case, it helps to know a popular literary device used at the time of Moses. It was common to take an account believed to be false and rewrite it with corrections. These polemics, as they were called, were kind of edgy ways of arguing a truth, much as we might use sarcasm in some ways. And the recipients of these would understand what the writer was saying because they understood the polemic style of writing. So the writer was saying, this previous account has errors. I'm going to fix them. There are a variety of contextual aspects that have to be considered for each book of the Bible, though, such as the participants' history or their politics and their culture and their beliefs and the environment at the time. Errors in theology often occur when someone attempts to interpret Scripture in a modern context. Fortunately, though, there are many resources available to help us understand the context of the Bible. Finally, I can ask the last question. What does this Scripture mean to me right now, right here, in my immediate situation? It's very important at this point not to stray from what it says or what it means. Furthermore, we must be wary of taking a passage out of the context of the surrounding verses or chapters. It is true we may be able to do that with some passages such as the ever-popular John 3.16. However, while enduring a particular trial, I can't tell you how many well-meaning people have told me, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. That's a quote from Jeremiah 29. In context, this was written specifically to the Jews of the Babylonian exile and not me. Ouch. So God doesn't want to prosper me and not harm me? Well, maybe not at the present. There were times in Paul's life when he was certainly being harmed and was not prospering. The point is, God does work things for my ultimate good, but I shouldn't take verses out of context and make it a personal promise for me. Having said what not to say, though, the purpose of Scripture is to make as many personal applications as possible. God expects us to know what the Bible says and what it means. Only then can we allow the Spirit to lead us in becoming more like Christ. Paul advised in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. <laughs>